Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to study your word, um, to grow closer to you. Lord, I've enjoyed the study through Philippians, this personal letter uh, between the Apostle Paul and this church in Philippi. Um, Lord, that your spirit has uh, given to us as your revelation. And so, Father, we ask that as we study this passage today, that your spirit would guide us, that, it, that he would illuminate this passage, give us insight, give us understanding, and Lord, give us application that we can apply in our lives. Uh, we are grateful for this opportunity that we have to gather as a, as a body of Christ, as your body. Uh, we're grateful that we can sing to you, uh, that we can fellowship with one another, that we can study your word. We ask, Lord, that this time would be fruitful in our lives, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. <clears throat> but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So we, uh, we've been working our way through Philippians. We enter a very interesting section within this, this letter. Um, there's, there's four chapters. And so right smack in the middle of this letter, there seems to be what almost is a conclusion. It, it, it kind of has is confused a lot of commentators, sort of speculating, was Paul planning on, on sort of landing his letter and saying goodbye, kind of letting them know uh, his plans, what was going to happen in the next couple weeks, months, or the, the near future. And then just like every pastor, he has a hard time landing the ship and then kind of takes off and, and goes, I, I don't know. Um, it's interesting, but right in the middle of, of Philippians, we find Paul writing to them, and he speaks of a couple different uh, people. He talks about Timothy. He's going to talk about Epaphrodites uh, next week. He's going to talk about his plans and, and just kind of what's going on. It's a, it's a, this is one of those weeks when I lay, laid, you know, months in advance when I lay out a book, I'm like, why did I just choose five verses? And now I'm kind of constrained. I can't, I can't adjust. But as I've been dwelling on this, I, I see sort of under the surface or, or we see relationships and, and the importance of relationships within the body of Christ. There's an intimacy to the letter of Philippians that, that is, I don't think it's found in the other books. Um, there was something special about this church and their relationship to the Apostle Paul. We see Paul's very special relationship with Timothy. Uh, we see the love. Next week, we'll look at Epaphroditus and his love for the church, his love for the Apostle Paul, what he went through. Um, 
And so I think that today we're going to see the importance of uh, biblical models of relationships uh, within the context of the local church. I, I wrote down kind of thinking about this. My prayer is that we as a church would foster an environment where personal faith building, supportive, deepening relationships of love uh, within the context of our relationships, that we would really uh, grow deeper with one another, that we, that we would encourage one another in Christ. Um, and, and in the midst of that, when you fall or you sh- have a struggle in life, you would have established a relationship with somebody within the body that then can come alongside you and help. It's a beautiful thing when we see this happen. Um, this is kind of like dinner eights. Like, why do we do this? Well, we do this so that you have a relationship Because when life is life and things happen, you have people who know you and love you and are there to be the body of Christ to you and for you also to be the body of Christ to those in need. Um, As we look at this passage, I'm going to take it in two parts and sort of out of order. We're going to start with Philippians 2.19 and then verses 23 and 24. I want to examine the... um, the, the travel log, the plans, what the logistics, what, what, what is Paul intending to do? And then we're going to look at verses 20 through 22 and examine the life of Timothy and what we can learn from this young man who uh, God used in a mighty way. And so we begin with verse 19. And we read Paul's writing, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So the very first phrase we see is this, but I hope in the Lord. This, uh, this, this but is a, is a contrasting statement that he had just been talking about something. And if we were to back up to verse 17, Paul writes, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way, and share your joy with me. So Paul had, had been writing to them. He's in jail. He doesn't know the circumstance of his life. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He could be executed. Um, he, he's writing them very like encouraging words, and he says, but even at the end of the day, I'm executed. That If my life is being poured out as a drink offering, and I, I painted the picture to try to explain what a drink offering was. A, dr- a drink offering was a picture of a raging fire. Think of a raging bonfire. And at the end of the night, you take a water bottle and you dump the water bottle out onto the fire. Immediately, because of the heat, the, the water is turned into vapor and basically disintegrates up into the atmosphere. That there's, there's nothing left. It's fully consumed. And that's what a drink offering was. And so Paul's saying, if my life becomes a drink offering, that every ounce of energy and person that I have is laid out on the altar and is poured out and my life is taken. I'm just going to have joy. I'm going to trust in the Lord and I want you to have the same joy that I have. So even if they take my life, have this joy. But in verse 19, he says, but I, but I hope in the Lord Jesus. That, that that's kinda, he's going to get at that that's not the outcome. He says, I, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send, to, to send Timothy to you shortly. Now, if we can click over to the next slide. I, I want to show a map of, of sort of the, the Mediterranean. On the right, we have Jerusalem and Caesarea. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later. That circle up there, that's Philippi, which is modern-day Greece. 
And then on the top left corner is Rome. So Paul was writing from Rome. The church in Philippi was at the, in the, that second circle there, modern-day Greece. Um, it was, there's speculation over how far it was. Um, if, you had two, if you had two airports between the two cities, I don't know how far that would be. I should have looked that up. But the routes, depending on what their resources were, could be as short as 700 miles. The 700 mile would take you 350 miles to the coastline, and then you could go to a port and then another sort of 350 miles up. That's the, sort of the, the quickest. Um, there was another around-the-bout way, if you were on foot, that would be about 1,200 miles. And so they speculate that the journey between Rome and Philippi at shortest would be six weeks. At longest, it would take three months to, to do this. And, and so if you think about this, this is before the internet. This is before phones. This is before, I don't even know what other, how do people used to communicate? Like smoke signal? There were probably smoke signals back then. But, but so the information came very slowly, and, and they didn't know what was going on. And so Paul tells them, hey, my plan is to send Timothy to you shortly. The reason that he wants to send Timothy to him, them shortly, he says the purpose, so that. That's a key word. It's a, it's a, it's, it shows a connection that explains why he says this. He's going to send Timothy so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And, and so he's not necessarily sending Timothy for the sake of communicating information Potentially, I, he probably was going to send some information. I have to, I'm, I'm arguing with myself. I, I, I must spoke there. He would send Timothy, he would send Tim, with Timothy some information about his circumstances, namely how his trial went out, what resulted. Um, but, but really, he wanted to send Timothy on a round trip sort of adventure. He wanted Timothy to go there, see how the church in Philippi was doing, and that Timothy would return to him and share sort of the news of the spiritual condition how things were going, and that Paul would be encouraged by hearing how they were doing. Paul spoke like this all the time. One of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible is Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Um, when Anne and I got engaged, I think she's over there. Yeah, there she is. Um, that was one of the, the verses that was really important to us. Um, when we go visit missionaries, this is sort of always the driving force behind our, our visits with them when we do stuff. You know, Team, Fly, uh, you know, team Flagstaff, it's coming up. We're going to go paint their house. But really, Romans 1, 11 through 13 is, is our aim. Like, the painting of the house is secondary. And in Romans, chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, Paul writes to this Roman church who he didn't know, and he says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So, so he says, you know, I want to go spend some time with you. I want to get to know you so that I could encourage you spiritually and that as I interact with you, that I would be encouraged spiritually. Um, this is a great Verse for marriage, it's kind of like what Anne and I, you know, it's been important to us. But, but for those of us kind of participating in church, um, that should be our aim, that, that we want to be an encouragement to one another. And that's why we do things like, you know, like we went to a, base, a group of us went to the baseball game on Friday, which was a lot of fun. 
We'll have dinner eights. We'll do these things that don't necessarily seem very spiritual on the surface level, but the driving force is that it would deepen our relationships so that we would be able to encourage one another spiritually. Um, I, I love that Paul's need for encouragement, what, what he wanted most to be encouraged w- was to hear about how God was working in their life. And it's exciting. Like when you're walking with Christ to hear about what God's doing in other people's lives, it's just really exciting and it, it encourages you. So now we're going to skip down to verse 23. And Paul writes, therefore, so he connects from the previous section, which we're we're getting to about Timothy's character and who he is as an individual. Um, Paul's desire to to learn about what's going on in their lives and how are they doing spiritual. And he says, therefore, I hope to send him immediately. So we're talking about Timothy. Um, previously in verse 17, or what, yeah, verse 19, he says he wants to send him shortly. Now he says uh, immediately. Um, like, what's, what's going on here, Paul? If it's so urgent, why don't you just send Timothy? Like, next week we'll see in verse 25, where he says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So he's going to send Epaphroditus first, but he's telling us, he's like, hey, I'm gonna, I want to send Timothy to you shortly. I want to send him immediately now. Um, the deal is, the second half here, as soon as I see how things go with me. Remember, Paul's situation is overshadowing the, the whole of Philippians. If we were to go back 10 years and go to Acts, we're not going to go to Acts chapter 16, but in Acts chapter 16, we would see the story. Uh, Paul picks up young Timothy. Um, they're delivering the good news that the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised and how the whole Jewish church and the Gentile church that is being formed, how they're going to work together. They receive good news from the elders in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council. And so they, they go out on this journey and Paul picks up Timothy. And, and in Acts 16, we see that they start this church in Philippi. Um, as life goes on for Paul. At the time of writing, it's believed that it's about 10 years after the planting of the church. We see, according to Philippians, that the Philippian church came behind Paul and supported Paul unlike any other church. He says, you guys are the only ones that have been given gifts to me to support me, to help me in this mission. And so somewhere along the line, we know that Paul gets arrested in Jerusalem. He's, he's taken into custody at the temple. To say it was taken into custody, he was basically um, hijacked. And as they're trying to sort stuff out, they have him in custody. Paul's nephew comes and says, hey, there's a lynch mob coming for you. They're going to take your life. And Paul's like, hey, please, go let the guy in charge know that this is happening. And so then they mounted up a whole uh, contingent of, of basically military guys, and they escort Paul from Jerusalem down to Caesarea to Herod's palace, and they kept him safe there. And he remained there for two years. And while they're trying to figure out his case and what was going on, they were not finding anything against him, and they were getting close to releasing him. But at that point, Paul appealed to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he had a right that if he appealed to Caesar, they had an obligation to get him to Caesar, to be seen by Caesar or his appointees or whatever. So... The journey then takes him from Caesarea over to Rome. 
where he spends the next two years. So he's been under arrest by the time of writing the Philippians, sometime between the year, two years and four years. It, it, it seems like it's getting close to the end of that four years. Um, <clears throat> he doesn't know his outcome. And, and so the, the flow of what Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, right away, I'm writing this letter. I'm going to give this letter to Epaphrodites. Epaphrodites is going to make the journey to you to deliver the letter that we're reading right now was delivered to the church by Epaphrodites. From him to get from Rome to there at minimum would take six weeks. Sometime after Epaphrodites' departure, he was expecting to get news on his situation. Was he going to be executed? Was he going to be set free? I'm sure there was some options in between. But when the outcome, when the verdict came through, then Timothy was going to take off running to the church in Philippi. And he was going to deliver the news about Paul. And then Paul hoped that he would get out. And I don't know what the processing time is. You know, I've picked up a few guys from jail for various reasons. And, uh, you know, you see them at Vista Courthouse kind of with their little bag of their possessions. You know, first thing in the morning, they kind of release them at 6 a.m. And I don't know. What, what the process was then, but Timothy was going to be gone. There would be some processing order to move Paul from house arrest to giving him his freedom back, and that he hoped at that point that he would join them soon. <clears throat> Let's see where we are. He says, and I trust, at the very end here, I trust in the Lord that I'll be coming to you shortly. Um, I, I want to point out in verse 19, 23, Notice Paul a couple times says, I hope, I hope. Here he says, I trust. Um, I see an application. We all have our desires. And there's something about spiritual maturity that as we walk with the Lord to, to, to learn how to balance like our drives, our desires, the things that we want, in, in the humility and yielding of a sovereign God who, who directs us. And so Paul has all of his wishes. You know, he, he, he hopes to get out. He hopes to go see them. But, but he understands that, that his life is really in God's control. Um, there's no naming it and claiming it. There's, there's, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I'm praying Here's my life, it's up to you. But you can hear it in his voice. I, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. I hope to go there myself. I hope to be there shortly. I trust in the Lord Jesus regardless of what happens. I'm going to trust him. I have my plans, but ultimately, God's going to do what he's going to do. Now, now let's go back to verse 20. <clears throat> so we look at verse 20, and we're going to examine the life of Timothy. Now let's go back to verse 19, but even if I'm, I'm not verse 19, uh, but if I hope in the Lord, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirits who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. We learn a lot about Timothy in this section. Uh, the first thing he says about Timothy 
is, is that he, it, he's a kindred spirit with him, which is an interesting word. It's only used here in the New Testament. It, it, it literally, it's a word that, that means equal soul. Um, some translations just kind of use the word like or like-minded. Here we see kindred spirit. But the thrust of this, Paul is telling them that there's no one else like Timothy in my life. Um, our, our hearts beat for the same passion. We desire the same things. And there are no special, more special friendships in your life than those who you link together with who are headed in the same direction with the Lord. There, there are these friends that you're heading in the same direction with, you know that if you get off course, they're going to kind of correct you or they're going to encourage you. Their, their, their worldview is going to be in line with the Spirit of God and these are just special people. These are the people that we want influencing us and having sort of a sharehold in our lives. And so often as young people, we start going and connecting with people that don't have the same sort of concern. And, and it's very easy to be pulled off course. It seems like the older you get and the more you grow, it's like, well, the people that you should, and I found in my life that I want to connect with are, are those that have the same heartbeat, that have this desire to honor Christ in their life. Um, he, he talks about that Timothy will be genuinely concerned for their welfare. I am. Um, it makes me wonder. I've been, I've been pondering, why is Paul talking about this, uh, like in this way towards Timothy? These, these people knew Timothy. Um, when, when, when they were founded, Timothy was there. So the last 10 years, they've known Timothy. Timothy's always with Paul. And it, it, it sort of makes me wonder if Paul sort of, Timothy might be coming with news that Paul's been executed. And I don't know if he's giving some apostolic sort of laying his hands on Timothy, like, listen, guys, when Timothy ruled through 10 years ago, you knew him as a young man. You knew him as this guy that was a brand new believer, but he's been by my side. I've been grooming him. I've been developing him. He's going to be a leader of the next church. And so if, 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 if this letter finds them with Epaphroditus and then a few weeks later Titus or Timothy comes through saying, guys, Paul's been executed. They took his life. These people would understand that whatever Timothy, whatever God did with Timothy, that they could trust him and, and his leadership. Um, clearly we have the, the pastoral epistles of Timothy and Titus, which... At the end of Paul's life, he clearly sent these guys to lead uh, the next generation of the church. How we know how to do church is because of these letters that the Spirit of God used uh, to write between Paul and Timothy. <clears throat> so this is where I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally care for your welfare. Timothy had a pastoral heart. He loved them. He cared for their spiritual well-being. And uh, I think in application, this, this is important for, for all of us. If we could be like Timothy, that we could care about how people are doing spiritually. 
So much of what we see is on the surface, and you can see a problem, but the issue is like deeper. And I think the lesson in Timothy is look below the surface, figure out what's really going on. When I read this, being the kind of the pastor here and being here for the time that I have, I find myself reading these words and just being filled with gratitude. Um, I don't know if people that go to church and are a part of a congregation understand the weight that a shepherd has over his people and the love and the care um, that there's difficulties, there's hard times, there's good times. Um, I, I'm not perfect. I, often I feel unqualified for what I've been asked to do. Um, But if there's anything I can communicate to you guys is to know that I love you all and I might not always express it. I might joke around a lot. Um, I, I, there's times when I feel like just over, like, like helpless because all I can do is just pray for you and I want you all to know that like, I, I think about you during the week. I pr- I, I'm, you're in my prayers. I genuinely care about you. And so when I see this in Timothy, I'm so grateful for that because there's a lot of pastors who don't genuinely care for their people. There's a lot of people that are bitter. And so I, I, I'm just grateful um, and long to be like Timothy. And, and I hope that that's our prayer, that, that we would genuinely care about the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters in Christ within our, our church, our body here, uh, and beyond our body. You know, it's not just about us. And he says in verse 21, which is a weird verse, like right in the midst of this, he says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And so he's saying, Timothy is not verse 21. So he says, for I, going back to verse 20, for I, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned with your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. It's hard to understand what he's saying here. Because if you, if you press on this, it's like, was he, is he speaking negatively of Luke, Silas, Lydia? Like all, of these, like all of these individuals who God is using, who Paul has around him that are doing good stuff. It, it, it seems very unlikely that he's, he's bashing on these people around him. He could be speaking just generally of, of humans in general. Because our, you know, our out-of-the-box state, um, we've been in the dark ages the last couple of days, although we're back. But man, your internet goes down these days. It's like, oh, how do you survive? Like it's, and so it's been, I've been dealing with the router and the modem and, you, you know, like you, everything's tweaked. But then there's the moment where you press that little tiny button, you know, <laughs> like you got to get the, like the paper clip and you press the factory reset. <laughs> our factory default is seeking after our own interests, not those of Christ. And, and so it's suggested that maybe he's speaking just humanity in general. Like the, the default is people are self-serving, self-seeking, self-promoting. But then when Christ gets a hold of you, it becomes others-driven, and he changes the, your factory default. Some have suggested it's possible it, it, makes, it makes sense to me that this is hyperbole, that he's making this exaggeration to highlight Timothy. 
that, that I think at the heart of this is like, when you look at this young man, Timothy, he is an amazing young man. He loves Jesus. He puts Christ's priorities above his own. If you look at his track record through the New Testament, I mean, the whole book of Timothy, the letter of Timothy, was Paul was asking him to go to this church in, in Ephesus that had all sorts of problems, and Timothy clearly didn't want to be there. But because there was a need, he was willing to serve, and he was willing to put himself in this hard situation. He's clearly by Paul's side in prison, or house arrest, kind of, okay, Paul, just tell me what you need, I'll do it. And, and so it's, it's likely that verse 21 is really highlighting who Timothy is, not necessarily bashing on the other individuals around him. He says in verse 22, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy is mentioned in Romans, Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, obviously, twice, and Philemon. He has a long track record with Paul. It seems like that when he came to Christ and Paul came through town and he picked him up, it doesn't seem like Timothy ever left his side and he served faithfully for years and years next to Paul. And there's something in the life of Timothy that when I see this, what I see is the value of steadiness in an individual's life, faithfulness. As, as, uh, I think it's in Luke 9 where Jesus talks about putting your hands to the plow and just going forward. I can't tell you how, much, how thankful I am for the individuals here who are just steady, faithful, holding course, are just reliable. And that's who Timothy was to Paul. His proven worth. He's been with me. He's faithful. He won't let me down. He won't let you down. You can trust him. You can count on him. When he says yes, he means yes. When I look at this in my life, my prayer, which has been my prayer before I got here, my prayer was like, Lord, please set me somewhere where I can just, where I can remain and be steady over the course of 20, 30 years. I don't want to be one of the, and I'm not, God calls different people to do different things, but I don't want to be one of the guys that goes somewhere for two years, three years, finds a better church, and then they bounce over to the quote-unquote better church. And I'm like, Lord, just plant me somewhere. He says, okay, you're going to Valley Center. And I joined the board of directors on the cemetery to show you how like, I'm in this. Like, I, my prayer, like, God can do whatever he wants, but my hope and my prayer is that God would allow me to serve here for the duration until you know retirement. I hear that retirement's an option, and so... But I just want to hold course, and I, and I want to love this body, and I don't want to grow bitter, and I don't, I don't want to grow jaded. But it's proven worth. It takes time to see an individual's proven worth. It takes time. If you're single and you're looking at a potential person, with spent, I don't want to get married in like two weeks. <laughs> like, let their proven worth, their, their proven walk with Christ it's very easy to go into a situation and say, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. It's like, I've only known you for 30 minutes. How can you? Like, let me see you over a long course of time of faithfulness, steadiness, that you're reliable. I find it interesting that in this verse, we see that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. 
It was like Wednesday, I think. I was like, is it Father's Day this Sunday? Because I'm not a big holiday person. Like I, and I'm like, what are the odds that we have this serving as a father on Father? I didn't plan this. Like it just interesting, you know. I would have found it interesting and next week too, but it just did happen to be on this week. So Paul refers to Timothy as his son or his child no less than five times in the whole of the New Testament. Um, it's super interesting that it falls on Father's Day to me. And so I want to say a few thoughts on the father-child relationship as we see in the context of this passage, not in the context of our holiday. Um, I do think that the child-to-parent relationship is very special. Um, I, I kind of fail at knowing what the right word is, but, but there's a, a, a power, uh, maybe a, a tremendous amount of um, kind of weightiness in this role, in this relationship. We are, we are an older church, and, it, and in the course of my time being here, it's never, it's, it's, I've always found it very sobering as a dad to, to hear like an 80, 90-year-old man with tears in his eyes talk about how his father had wronged him, to think that at that stage in his life and his dad has been passed, but there's still wounds that were delivered by a parent. And so I, I think when the Bible talks about this father-child, mother-child, parent-child relationship, there's something special there. There's, there's, there, there's something uh, precious. There's something that, that you, there's great responsibility. Um, I love being a dad. I... Um, I think I'd sacrifice just about anything for any one of my children. And I say I think because I, like, I haven't been there, but I think like if I saw my kid about to die, like, I, I think pretty confidently I would throw my life in place of theirs. Um, being a son, my father, we've had rocky relationship, and, and so I'm grateful for the season that he's you know, early in Alzheimer's where I'm in this position to kind of care for him and... And I'm seeing that as I've matured, you know, because our rocky relationship, there's a lot of immaturity on both sides along the way. And, and so to be at this stage in my life and following Christ and to get calls from my dad saying, hey, I need this. Like you know, this week it was, well, I think last week the internet broke. And this, this week his cell phone broke. And he's like, it's totally messed up and I don't know what's going on. It's like, okay, dad, I'll do like. I don't, my schedule's really busy. I think I just have to come down right now. And it was like late at night. And so we, we go down there. He's like, it will make calls. It doesn't work. I can't hear. And it's like, okay, are your hearing aids in? He's like, well, no, but I, he's like, how about we put your hearing aid in? Let's start with there. And I called a couple people. Phone works both ways. I'm like, ah. I realized he put a sticker over the speaker. And, and uh, <clears throat> But I say this, like, I love my dad, and I'll, and I'll care for him, and I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever's needed. And I think, you know, of course, when we look at Paul and Timothy, we see that Timothy gave himself sacrificially to Christ, and in that relationship with Christ, Christ put him with Paul, 
And their relationship became that as parent and child. And I don't know that uh, in this sort of relationship, it's, I don't think it's necessarily big grandiose things, but it's like little things done over the course of the time. Like you can't, you know, I, I hear about, um, you know, quality time. And it seems like that it's like there's quality moments within like long sections of time. I was reminded of this quote that says, in this life we cannot do great things. We can only do small things with great love. Love is a distinguishing trait of true Christianity, which I thought was really good. The obvious statement that I want to point out here is that Paul was not Timothy's dad. Okay, He says, like, like, like a son. What does he say? Like a child serving his father. He, he refers to his, him as his son in these various locations, but Paul was not his father. And I understand that the dynamic in our earthly relationships isn't always that what God has intended. And it can't be any more obvious than the person of Timothy. All we know about Timothy is that he was half Greek and half Jewish and that he was raised by his grandmother and his mother and his dad was absent. And we don't know the circumstances. Some have speculated he was dad, killed. Some speculated that he ran off, that he wanted nothing to do with them because of their Jewishness? We don't know. All we know about Timothy is that his dad was absent. And so, as we enter this reality with so many of us that have fractured uh, relationships, I would encourage you to develop the, you know, the quote-unquote Paul and Timothy relationship. Well, maybe you don't have the best relationship with your dad or you have no relationship with your dad. Well, find a fellow believer that's been walking in the Lord for a long time and develop a relationship. And if you're an older man or woman and you've been walking with the Lord, look for younger people to invest your lives and to love on them. Give them what they didn't have. These are important for us, these sort of relationships. Christianity isn't just about passing on information. It's about living it out. And, and that old saying, some things are caught, not taught. And so walking alongside of another believer, having somebody follow along with you as you serve Christ, as you live out your life. We all have, we, I hope that we all have these relationships of people who have had a profound impact in our lives for Christ. And I see that in here. Okay, some concluding thoughts. <clears throat> Number one, in, all, like in this whole section, the obvious, that God desires a relationship with each one of us. God is a relational God. A relationship with him has been severed through sin, period. God so desires a relationship with us that he sent his son to live the perfect life, to be the example, to reflect his glory in heaven so that when we look at the person of Christ, we can see God the Father. And that he went to the cross. We just read this in Philippians 2 earlier. That he humbled himself. He became a man and he went to the cross. He gave his life, even on the cross, the most humiliating and shameful way. He did this so that we might have our relationship restored with God. God desires us to communicate with him. He desires us to be in his word so that we can learn about him and his heart and his nature. That we would pray and communicate with our creator. 
God wants us to have Christ-like relationships with each other. God didn't create us to, to have this personal, private relationship. When we come to Christ and we give our lives to him, we are not only created into new creatures through the baptism of the Spirit within our lives, we are adopted into this family, the Christian family. So when I look at this section, some questions like, what, what relationships do you have both positive and negative in your life? There's, there's quite potentially there that you are a Christian and that you have individuals in your life that are not Christians that have way more influence over you than they should. Can't tell you how many times a young guy, a guy goes, oh, I'm going to save and I want to try to go witness all my buddies and so I'm going to be hanging out at the bar. That's great if, if you're like able to do that successfully, but I can tell you like nine times out of ten what I've seen is within a matter of six months, that guy's no longer walking with Christ. He's just in the bar with his buddies. And, and so, so I'm not telling us that we're not called to be hermits, but evaluate who, who has influence in your life. And I'd encourage you to, to, to develop relationships with those that have been walking with Christ because mentoring kind of happens on the side. It happens as you spend time with people, as you serve, as you get involved. Um, if you've been walking with Christ, like who are you a Paul to? Or maybe a Paula if you're a lady. Like I don't know. Uh, like, like look for opportunities. Don't, don't expect the young, brand new baby Christian to have all the maturity to say, hey, I need to be mentored. I need to be discipled. I, I need help with this Christian life. That's not how it works. You come alongside. Hey, why don't you come to Bible study with me? Why don't you come to dinner eights? Why don't you come to this event? Why don't you spend time? Why don't you do whatever? Look for opportunities that you can point. He's like, well, I'm just a brand new Christian. I'm really scared. I have a, hey, come volunteer to be a helper in the Sunday school class. That's a great way to grow. I mean, it, it, like I joke about kids. Like, they terrify me. But it's, there's something about a kid that asks a question. And you're like, I don't know, let me, let me go to my Paul, ask that question, and then work through it, and then come back. There's nothing like subjecting yourself to teaching to learn. And so when you look for the Timothys, or the Tiffany's maybe, let's say Paula's and Tiffany's, and Paul and Titus, Timothy, oh, it's too, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? If you're an, a person that's been walking with the Lord, find a younger person that doesn't know Christ or is young in Christ and, and just give up your life together. And when I look at the life of Timothy, I just want to be more like that guy. Man, he's super and, and available to do whatever. Like this, he's not American Christianity looking at churches like, oh, I want to see what programs and they can offer me and oh, this church doesn't have this and that and that. He walked in the church and said, you know what? I really wish we had this. And so I'm going I'm to give of myself to this. He put himself in situations that were stressful, like the church in Ephesus. He was just willing to be used by God. He wasn't in it to use God. Let's talk to him. Father, we do thank you. I, I thank you for the life of, of Paul. I thank you for the life of Timothy. I thank you for uh, the church of believers who have followed after you over centuries. And we thank you that by your spirit, you have left us with your word that guides us, that directs us, that 
helps us uh, to learn about you and to, to learn how our lives are to go. So, Father, I pray for those that maybe aren't sure about their relationship with you. I ask that you would help them to understand the gospel clearly. That if there are people who have not trusted in Christ, that you would move in their hearts, that they would respond in salvation. Father, we thank you for this relationship that you have provided for us in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to yield our lives to you. Father, we pray that we as a body of believers would cultivate, foster, enable relationships that are honoring to you, that we would be a body of Christ at this church where we truly come alongside one another in grace, in love, in truth. Lord, help us in our journey. We, we all are on a journey. And we thank you for the community that you've placed us in. We love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.